and welcome to this week's In Conversation. Um, I'm really excited to have with me yet another um, interesting guest talking about practice as research. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to all of these conversations all of the time now. So um, today I have got with me a colleague from um, University College London, um, and I'd like you to introduce um, Hakan to you. Hi, uh, thank you so much, Nicole, for uh, inviting me for this interview, first of all. Um, yes, um, I'm Hakan Ergül. I'm a lecturer in the Digital Media MA program uh, in the Critical Studies route in Culture, Communication and Media Department. Um, I'm a media scholar. Uh, I think that's how I can describe myself, uh, doing ethnographic work during the last 20 years um, about different topics, different communities, different countries. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And um, the interesting thing is that, I mean, obviously, um, you, your, your, your work um, on the digital media program is also requiring quite a lot of practice work and, and you know, cuts into that idea of practice as research. But in your own work, um, you're also writing fiction. Um, and that's something that I would like to also kind of bring in here. So could you talk a little bit about your, your practice um, as fiction writer? Right, sure. Uh, well, yeah, this is exactly how I actually encountered practices research, which I didn't know that I was doing that until I found the name to put a title on it, you know, the kind of work that I've been doing. Yes, I've been writing short uh, stories and um, uh, during the last 20 years or even more than that. And so this is a sort of parallel activity that goes together with my academic work. And at the very beginning, I was trying to keep these two things separate from each other as much as possible, as you can imagine, because of the conventions within the academic field that I was working in, um, the, the, the myth of objectivity and all kinds of things at the very beginning. So I come from a bit of political economy tradition. Then I gradually moved to anthropology, ethnography in the field in a very natural way, not through training, but again, because the questions that I was dealing with uh, about the society, about the culture, about the community that I'm interested in, you know, I was not able to answer them with the framework that I carried with me. So I needed to approach it from the community's sort of way of understanding of the, whatever the phenomenon uh, I'm interested in. And this is how I found that actually my creative writing can be quite sort of supportive rather than, you know, uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, impacting negatively my academic work. And uh, that's how everything started with me with the practice as research. But still, uh, I do not, I did not know again until very recently that actually that type of creative work can be, you know, quite useful for the academic uh, analysis, academic research that I'm conducting. Yeah. So when you're saying that if you've kind of, you know, like more recently engaged with that field of practice as research, how how do you define, I mean, it sounds like you're still in the process um, of defining your work within that, you know, sort of spread and field, you know, how, if I was to ask you, what, what is your research work and what is your work as a practitioner, how would you try to define that? How would you describe that? Yeah, I think uh, uh, from my perspective, from the perspective of the kind of work that I'm doing, I think practices research refers more sort of a field of investigation that uh, explores the potential of creative, more artistic, more performative ways of sort of doing social inquiry. So in my case, in my specific uh, research area, that's more about the creative writing, creative narratives that I produce or my participants produce in the field that is 
to my knowledge, to my skills, not possible to inquire in any other more conventional ways, methodological ways. So in that sense, the art is a sort of, you know, uh, intervenes into my field as an action. So when I talk about arts or expressive ways or performativity, I'm not talking about uh, instrumentalizing arts as a sort of source of knowledge that can provide us what other methods cannot. It's more about, uh, you know, uh, aiming to produce something artistic and allowing the art to tell us the responses to the questions that we are posing in the field. For instance, in the, in the, in the case of um, um, media production. I was doing a production ethnography during my PhD in Japan, looking at uh, uh, the uh, media professionals' perspective of the kind of TV genres that they are producing themselves. And exactly simultaneously in that period of time, I was writing short stories about what I'm observing in the field. So um, again, as I've mentioned at the very beginning, uh, I was quite intimidated by the how close these two writings are getting to each other. My writings in the cultural studies as an anthropologist, as an ethnographer, and my writing as a creative writer or whatever that you call as a sort of person who keeps the journal of the field. But then I realized that actually um, I'm uh, sort of by eliminating this artistic creative part, I'm taking a probably the most powerful parts of my observations from the field. And this is creating much more artificial results than not. But when I bring them close to each other, when I bring some quotations from my journals, without saying that this is scientific, I didn't even use that word uh, during that period, but I just quoted by saying that there is no any other way that I can mention this other than this creative piece of paragraph, for instance. And then they started to have a dialogue. These two kind of different texts started to have a dialogue between each other. And then I felt much more confident with the result. When I look at it, it was exactly what I wanted to say with that PhD thesis. It took some time to convince my supervisors at the time, but still, <laughs> it's really worth trying. <laughs> So in a way, you've already kind of hinted at some of the sort of advantages and drawbacks and some of the challenges and the benefits that we are encountering with that kind of research that we're doing with that practice as research approach. Um, do you want to kind of tease out a few more sort of, you know, like sort of more, my, more direct um, points from your own experience? Um, what do you think are the kind of the challenges of, of practice as research? I think uh, one of the fundamental and cross-cutting challenge that many people doing the similar kind of work that I do, that you do, and other colleagues within the field of practices research do, is um, the recognition yes. within the academic field um, that uh, has implications on every aspect, including publications, including uh, teaching, bringing that experience into the teaching, for instance, is also another challenge. Uh, uh, you need to find the modality to uh, introduce that into your curricula, to your syllabus. But in terms of uh, the publications and academic framework, I think we all know that it's extremely difficult to um, um, challenge the very conventional, traditional structuring of the establishment of academia and then convince a critical number of people that, well, actually what we are doing as an artistic expressive way uh, of uh, social inquiry can be extremely useful for our sort of questions that we pose about the communities, about the society, about the whatever the issues, injustice that we are dealing with. I mean, talking about injustice, I can just, you know, for, for instance, talk about that probably as an example of why it's sometimes fundamental and very often the very, the only way 
to explore, to introduce that practice as research into the social inquiry. Uh, we were doing with our colleagues from Hacettepe University, um, digital storytelling um, um, atelier kind of a workshop in Morocco with the refugees coming from Syria, coming from Yemen, uh, Central Africa, and uh, you know, Senegal, all kinds of countries bordering or like distant from Morocco. We were um, concentrating and trying to understand their stories on the, on the journal since they fled from the war until they arrived to where they arrived in Rabat in the capital of, uh, of the city and trying to give them a sort of um, very simple digital platform to, to let them narrate their own story. So that there is no journalist, there is no academic uh, as a mediator, but they, it's themselves, it's their story, it's their creative work in a way. And we have realized after a couple of days of working together in a story circle, which is quite a healing, very interesting uh, co-creative process, that artistic ways of expressions, this includes music, this includes poems, this includes sometimes uh, incomplete sentences, but very metaphoric way of explaining the stories are very often the only way for people to face their traumas rather than narrating what exactly happened in a very sequential, very chronological way. And they were telling us in an indirect but very powerful way what they've gone through, what that journey meant for them and what kind of emotional traces left behind on their psychology, on their bodies, in their memories. And sometimes and very often the art is the best way to deal with it. It's a, it's a healing process in its end itself, but it's so extremely a powerful source of insights for the researchers as well. So, yeah, I mean, but then when it comes to publishing an accounts like this, <laughs> I think it, uh, and uh, or applying for a funding to accommodate a research like that with the collaborative of the, the people, then I think it's a quite a, a, a complicated process, I must say. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I think from from my point of view, um, you know, the kind of things that you were saying is the art um, is is like that therapeutic element for for the participants and for the researchers to kind of get to understanding. But at the same time, it's also when you're able to share um, a short story or a poem or you know any kind of like you said a a, a, a song or something. Actually, the audience um, who's who who you are disseminating to is also emotionally connecting to the topic. Um, so I do think, like you say, you know, the power of the arts, there is something there that, you know, kind of helps people make an emotional connection. Um, even if you don't like something, you know, you go into a gallery, you see a, a Pollock painting and, and a Pollock painting is something that's that's incredibly um, sort of, you know, like, yeah, Marmite thing, you know, either you love it or you hate it because, you know, the, the, you know a lot of people say, well, you know, a, a kindergarten child could have done that. And, and, and I can see where people come from. So, but, but still, even though they don't like that Pollock painting, they still have got some kind of an emotional connection to it. So I, I, I generally agree with you on the principles of using the arts-based approaches and that. But like you say, trying to convince somebody that that painting, that poem, that song is research is really, really difficult. How do you, in your own work, when you, when you are doing that creative writing, how do you make that distinction between, oh, this is creative writing for the creative writing purposes, and this is creative writing for research purposes? How do you, do you distinguish that in your own practice? Right. Uh, well, that's a great question. Um, and you let me also think about that as well, retrospectively. Well, I think um, in my case, it's quite a natural 
interconnected process because when I'm in the field, I'm in the field for weeks, for months, and I'm really literally in the field. So I go from point A to point B and then conduct my interviews, observe people, try to make sense of what I'm observing. And that's also the period that is extremely um, sort of stimulating in an artistic way too. So I also take my notes and my field notes, which is the most reliable software that I must say, the, you know, the paper and the pen, <laughs> it's quite messy. And uh, which was a frustration at the beginning for me. I think I was just questioning and criticizing myself. I think I just don't know how to reorganize my work with an introduction with the sort of cluster of data. So I should write my uh, more emotional uh, observations here, but the more physical you know, uh, environment should be falling under this. But then I realized that it actually it's this mess. It's this all interconnectedness, intertwined things that is there seemingly different, but so much connected to each other. This is, I'm also referring to here, my sort of creative writing, if you like. They are, I, I'm no longer trying to separate them from each other. I'm just trying to draw the insights from both simultaneously. And if I cannot find a way to express differently, I just quote from the field journal straight ahead saying that this was taken as a note on that date in that circumstances. And this is how I felt in that moment. And uh, that, that sentence, that observation, that paragraph can be very sort of, in terms of genre, very like a literature, uh, rather than it can be like a more sort of uh, uh, free flow of mind or like the, you know, the conscious, rather than a very structured uh, an analytical piece. But still, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I'm no longer really uh, trying to differentiate the two, and I'm uh, becoming more uh, sort of uh, refused by the journals, of course. <laughs> And can I just ask you, when, when you're talking about this kind of practices and, and the journaling, um, I mean, by the way, I'd be really interested in seeing, you know, a couple of pages of your journal now, because that's another thing that a lot of people are, you know, sort of talking about is like keeping journals, um, but we don't tend to share them much. So we don't necessarily see the messy process. Um, what we see is somebody talking about keeping a journal, and then we see the slick presentation um, in the publication. And and actually the, the messiness of that process totally disappears. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see that as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, I also have, uh, you know, as an, another element into that journal, the sketches. Yes. Sketches of the, the faces in front of me, the environment that I'm into, because I think this is much more telling semiotically than any photo that you can take possibly. When you sketch things that I feel, and I'm trying to teach or like discuss about it with my students in the methodology courses as well, your emphasis, the parts that for you is the, you know, the most important, while in the photograph, everything is in this, you know, the same level in a way. There are millions of semiotic signs that are talking to you with the same kind of weight in them, but when you sketch, the environment just doesn't matter how realistic or surrealistic, whatever it is, you just underline, you recreate it. And I think this really sort of uh, creates much more insightful process and link your emotions, the affect side of it with what you're observing there. I think this is extremely powerful and important for any, any person doing social inquiry. So when, you, when you're saying um, that you're kind of, you know, like picking out the things that are important to you and are relevant to you, doesn't that in a way, obviously it generates new kinds of knowledge because you are in the field, you're in the moment, you're in that practice, you're doing that research as practice. Um, and I'm playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> so, so <laughs> but, isn't that, <laughs> but isn't that in a way skewing the, what you see? Absolutely. 
However, in a qualitative inquiry that I so much believe that unless someone, the researcher living in a schizophrenic world that only refers to itself, whatever I see is the part of the general, more broader, let's say the social context. So somebody else can see something else. And that's also the part of that social reality. So there are, I mean, if we, you know, from constructivist point of, point of view, if this, the reality outside is being multifaceted, and uh, created by the discourses, observations, insights, perspectives, then I'm only claiming that this is one part of it. There are many other perspectives into that. I'm not even thinking about being either, you know, even close to the objective at all. I'm trying to be much more subjective, but I do know that this subjectivity is a shared one. I think, I mean, that's that's a really good way of kind of seeing it. And I think that's probably because a lot of people that are involved in practitioner inquiries or practice-based inquiries, they're always wondering, you know, how much am I shaping what's happening? And actually, I think it's a more honest approach because automatically, as soon as you engage in an interview situation, whoever is in front of you, you are shaping their views by the way you behave, by the way you read out the question, by, by any, you know, by, by even how the room is set up. So there, we, we cannot assume that an, an ordinary, traditional, conventional interview setting is, is a, a vacuum. It is also an interaction and an engagement there. Um, and I think, you know, our process by actually saying, you know what well, I am in the moment I know that I'm in the moment and here is how I'm dealing with is probably more honest because of the, the level of transparency that's required it's extremely important what you're mentioning and I couldn't you know agree more about it about the honesty but at the end of the day the insights that you generate in your writing in your analysis is not less reliable either so you can be both you can be very honest very subjective but just underlining that this is my perspective of what I see and somebody else can see differently. And I think I had that kind of attempt in the first page of my methodology. I remember in my PhD, for instance, that I felt an urge to write it. So I took a kind of risk that I don't suggest none of the PhD candidates to take the same risk. But I've written that methodology chapter with reference to, of course, the, you know, all kinds of uh, methods and stuff like that, the semi-structured interviews, participant observations, all the definitions were in my methodology chapter, but I put this, this first front page mentioning that what you're going to be seeing in the remainder of the methodology chapter is there also because of the sense of security. Lots of interviews that I called or named them as semi-structured interview were just informal chat that was happening, honestly, but they were not less informative. They were not less illuminating at all. But there is this urge that uh, make people, and this comes back to your question about what are the challenges, uh, you know, uh, that has been, you know, that is being felt in the field. It's, it's this, this, this imposing field from the traditions, the conventions that do not want to see anything that is divergent, that is different than itself. That's a third gaze always follow you when you're writing something and then try to bring you back to the conventional way of writing. I think that's something that we all need to face at one point if we are doing doing some kind of practices research in the field yeah so is that is that the hope for the future as to how the practice as research develops as a field and also how your own practice as research will develop i think it's going to be we are going to see a you know a much stronger emergence of a kind of uh, you know the field of practices research in the future and that there will be the digital uh, uh, as a you know the aspect of that playing a role as well, because um, you know all the interactions in the digital media, uh, almost all are interactive. 
So uh, blurring the boundaries between the users, producers, creators, co-creators who produce the, any genre for the first time. So it's very difficult to trace the origin of it. So things become much more co-creative. And uh, in a way, um, uh, much more, we also see the active agency from the users as well, Th their own creativity, their own ways of expression, their feelings as well. I think it's going to be almost an ine inevitable journey in the future to bring that practice as research as an aspect that is fundamental for any kind of social inquiry. That's really exciting. I, I look forward to that kind of vision of yours. And that's something that I, <laughs> I'm, I'm signing up for straight away, because I do think that I agree with you. And I do think that there is some scope of kind of, you know, like allowing more agency, obviously, as researchers in the in that practice as research environment, we would still have duty of care, we would still make need to make sure that, you know, that um, anyone who's part of the research doesn't um, come to any harm or any any kind of difficulties because those people aren't necessarily um, experienced in doing research so they may not necessarily know what they're letting them in to, uh, themselves in for but ultimately yeah allowing scope to kind of like you say co-create and, and generate things together I think that that sounds like a really nice view. I hope that really happens and I really do believe that uh, sort of also I see more sort of signs of it as well. I mean, looking at the initiative that you've created and you're leading, because which is amazing. And then looking at the, how the people really wholeheartedly embraced that initiative. And there are you know many people, like-minded people doing similar kind of thing as well. So I think we are going to see more and more in the future, similar kind of work. One more thing that if I might say about the, you know, the, the ethnography and then the sort of how this is linked to the practices research, I just wanted to mention that at one point. Um, you know, it's only about my personal observations about what I read in the uh, academic journals done in the field of media studies with an ethnographic method. Um, I see that, uh, you know, at the same time, a kind of tendency, which I think is going to disappear in the future, but that's not the case at the moment, that people are feeling themselves to um, employ more and more ethnographic protocols, if you like, in their field, you know, Again, going back to this terminology, semi-structured interview with 15 people, participant observation for three weeks. So you see a same danger that the ethnography was criticizing at the beginning, but now trying almost like getting into the same dangerous flow and following much more positivistic under understanding of the ethnography, which is, I think, against its soul and essence at the very beginning. I think ethnography is not about finding a concrete single answer. It's about asking questions it's about finding potential other answers as well without really you know, limiting it, reducing it to a single answer. So I think the art, I mean, is the most powerful way to ask questions in that sense. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Hakan, for, for having been here today. Um, as always, it's been a great, great pleasure to, to talk to you about your work. Um, I do hope that we're going to be able to catch up on another occasion and talk a little bit more about ethics as well. Um, the ethics of, you know, of, 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 of involving participants, of, of doing this arts-based um, representation. So I do hope that we're able to connect um, again at some point in the future. Um, but for now, um, I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the network. Um, and um, yeah, anyone who's been listening in, please do check out the other in conversations as well. Thank you so much for having me, Nicole. It was a pleasure talking to you. I look forward for the future conversations too. Thank Thanks. you.